Hi everybody, I'm Paul McKenzie from Geography at Ulster University and um, just presenting today the work on fuel poverty that we've been doing over the last 10 years roughly. Uh, it's very much a team effort. Um, Professor Christine Liddell has been instrumental in all this work and uh, Dr Chris Morris. So this is sort of given an overview of what we've done over the last 10 years. Um, so just to give an overview of the term, the term fuel poverty has been around for about 40 years, um, initially in the UK context. Um, after a lot of discussion, it's generally seen as about 10% of the household income that's used to try and keep your home warm, well lit, hot water, nice warm rooms, etc. Um, there's a debate at the minute between actual spending and needs to spend. And an actual spend would be a, a model figure that says that what you actually spend on the home to keep your house relatively warm and comfortable. But that's not necessarily what you would need to spend to make your room comfortable throughout the whole home. So there's a difference between actual spend and needs to spend. Some of the estimates from 2009 in England were that needs to spend was 21% higher than what people were actually spending to keep their home at a comfortable level. So that has many manifestations in a house, and I'll look at some of those in a, in a few minutes. Um, as you can expect, in the UK context, generally Northern Ireland and Scotland would have some of the highest rates of, of fuel poverty, and that's simply because we're colder um, than other areas of England and Wales. Um, also within a European context, this is a bit of work from um, Harriet Thompson, um, where she looked at fuel poverty right across the whole extent of Europe, and she said that in homes in Southern Europe, Portugal and Greece were particularly at risk of fuel poverty. Now that seems very... Uh, counterintuitive. We think Portugal and Greece are nice and warm like here today. But what, we're, what the uh, expectation is that those homes have poor energy efficiency. They're not built to withstand cold conditions and that's why there are more fuel poverty than other homes. Eastern Europe, again, uh, maybe more expected, but those two areas of Europe have the highest rates of fuel poverty uh, across Europe. Conversely, Denmark, Finland and Sweden have the lowest rates and again, if you think about those countries, they're generally building their housing stock with cold conditions in mind, so those homes are more conditioned um, to be insulated, well protected against the weather, etc. And then Helian Cinch as well have said that UK and Ireland have particularly high rates within the Western European context. So this is a big issue for Northern Ireland. It's a big European issue. It has improved, but the, the issue still is there that we need to resolve. Um, the impact is massive. Um, it's not just on energy in a home. It links in with carbon reduction because inefficient homes require more energy. They also let out more heat. There's also light pollution, etc. So there's a whole range of household level impacts. But the biggest thing for us is the physical and mental health conditions that come out of fuel poverty. Uh, somebody said in some of the literature that it doesn't take uh, a lot of brain power to work out that looking at cold, damp patches on your ceiling will make you feel sad. So whenever we look at the impacts of fuel poverty, it's a vast impact on a whole range of different aspects. Also, excess winter mortality rates are significantly higher in cold homes. So this is a big impact across Europe. It's a big impact on how individual people spend their lives as well. Um, typically, there's three causes of fuel poverty. Um, this is generally seen as the three main causes uh, across the UK and across Europe. It's the income of the household. So if a household has a low income, it's at greater risk of having fuel poverty. If the cost of fuel is high, 
it's a big impact on fuel poverty. So if you're looking at very high oil prices, that will have a big impact on, on how fuel poor you are. And the third thing is building efficiency. So if your home is old or if it's a detached home or if it's in a particularly cold area, it is more at risk of having fuel poverty. So these three variables are really critical for how we look at fuel poverty across Northern Ireland. Um, so some of the old approaches or some of the older approaches that have been used for fuel poverty to try and get money to the people in most risk. Mark was saying about targeting resources to areas and this is one of the biggest things uh, particularly with the, the recession and budget reforms is that we have a certain amount of money which is reduced so therefore we need to give that money to those who will benefit the most from that, that money rather than just giving it out as a blanket payment we need to give it to those in most need. Um, so traditionally it was based on two, um, two variables, two ways of actually giving money to people in, in poverty. The first one was passport benefits. So if a household was in receipt of a passport benefit like pension credit, it would have been given a score for uh, receiving a fuel poverty payment. The second one would have been a vulnerable occupant, so somebody over 60, less than 16 or maybe had a disability in the household as well. And you can see from this scenario here, just a, an, an example, that many people would have potentially then have missed out. Conversely, you maybe have people in their 60s who had no risk of fuel poverty who would still have been receiving some uh, benefits uh, in terms of fuel poverty map or fuel poverty payments. Uh, the other big one for us is working poor. So you had a couple of people working in the home. They were working so much, but they were they were working too much to give them no benefits but they weren't working enough to take them out of the poverty gap as well. So there's a whole range of ways by which what was done before was good, but there were more, more refined ways by which we could give money to those who were in, in more need of it. And those approaches that we can see there typically ignored, ignored building efficiency. So they weren't looking at loft insulation, they weren't looking at energy performance certificates. Um, so there were some, some parts missed out. Um, so what Professor Liddell and the team, along with myself, looked at this as a geographical basis. Um, and you'll know that the census is made up of a whole range of different zones. You've got a ward, you've got a local council, um, and every one of those zones has information collected for that area. Now, whenever we have that information collected for an area, we can start to put those data sets together to give us a much better impression of the people living in that area. So we can see here that we have data available for a, a small area or a census output area which is typically around 125 households and that allows us to combine information together at that scale to give us an area based target for uh, fuel poverty. Um, we've got these data sets across all of Northern Ireland, they're across the Republic, they're across England, Scotland and Wales so it allows us a, a very wide coverage but it allows us very high detailed mapping as well. So geography really is the, the missing link that allows us not only to integrate variables, so going off and getting data on households, getting data on fuel prices, getting data on poverty or benefits, but we can bring that in with geography, but we can also use geography to show us where those high-risk areas are. So it's integrating and showing us where we need to go. Um, so geography is sort of the missing link, um, and it facilitates this improved target approach using GIS. Um, GIS then is a computer bit of software. Uh, it's been around for a very long time. Um, and it's essentially, if you've got acetates uh, on an overhead projector, 
one acetate would be one layer of information, you've got another acetate, you put it on top, and it builds up a, a set of information about what is in that location. I typically refer to it as a, a cake or a pizza, where every layer of pizza or cake is another bit of information. Uh, and we can stack all this information together to give us a combined score at the end. So if you see on the right hand side here, we've maybe got information on the household, when was it built, um, has it got gas available to it, uh, how big is the household, is it detached, is it a bungalow, whatever. Um, we also know the oil prices, we also know about the cost of gas in that area, and we also know, that, know other things like temperature. So geography gives us all of these different variables together, but an area-based approach allows us to put all of this into one place and work with that information to give us a, a risk score at the end. Um, so just to give one example, the, the House Condition Survey just released for 2016 from the Housing Executive. This is one of the maps here from 2006 from the House Condition Survey. Um, this is where I started, maybe uh, about 2010 or 2011. So we knew that fuel poverty rates from the House Condition Survey sample were highest in Moyle and Larne over 42% rates from that sample at that point in time. The green just shows you areas where it was lower. Um, but what we didn't know at that point was, was Moyle all poor? Was it everybody who lived in Moyle and Larne equally valid to get a payment or for fuel poverty interventions? Um, so whenever we use geography for this, we can look at Moyle and say, yes, it's all red, it's all a high score, but that's based on a, a limited sample. So whenever we bring in ward level, we may be able to see that the variation changes. We don't have particularly bad levels out in the east or out in the west. Whenever we go down a higher resolution to since the site pit area, you can see that we've got pockets of poverty that scream out at us, at us which will be much more sensible for us to give the money to. It wouldn't make so much sense for us to give money up to the green area <coughs> because it's much lower risk. So w this is a way by which we can combine information and say this area is more eligible to receive more money than that area is over there. Um, and then geography allows us to go one step further right down to the building level. So we can see areas that have high densities of terraced, high densities of uh, detached or whatever. So this is a, a really useful way for us to essentially take a tin opener and look below the lid and see what the real uh, geography, what the real variation is on the ground. Um, another really lovely part of the project was getting oil price data from the Consumer Council. Um, reading the newsletter one afternoon, we saw oil prices being collected for 18 stations across Northern Ireland, and it was just at the point whereby we were starting to look at fuel poverty. Uh, and I looked at the table, the table was very, very good, but a table doesn't tell you exactly where the problems really are. So we were able to take the prices for 18 towns across Northern Ireland for 300, 500 and 900 litres of oil. And with that tabular data, we could essentially go to a mapped oil price for Northern Ireland. And as fuel price in Northern Ireland, it was something like 70% of homes were using home heating oil. So therefore, this variable was a really big part of what we were trying to do. It was a big part of the fuel poverty puzzle. Um, and you can see here one very nice example. Uh, if you live between Armagh and Tandragee, and you bought your oil from a supplier in Armagh, you could be spending £475 on 900 litres of oil. If you went to Tandragee, you could have been spending up to £505 for 900 litres of oil. 
So that is a vast difference for someone who would be experiencing poverty. Um, and typically, my parents usually just buy oil from their local supplier because they know <coughs> the land, they know them, all this sort of stuff, so they don't change supplier. So if that person has been using a supplier from Tandragee, the chances are that they will continue to use that supplier from Tandragee. Um, so those maps of, of price really useful for us to try and refine the measure of um, eligibility for field poverty interventions across Northern Ireland. Um, and then just an example, apologies if you live here, it's not intentional, uh, but it's just to give you one example of how all this work comes together. Um, you can see on the right hand side, this is some of the variables that we use to try and model where poverty would be high. Um, you can see some in red, some in green. The red is referring to something that will give you a higher weight of fuel poverty. The green is referring to something that would be a lower weight of fuel poverty, so it would be a lower risk. So small village, hamlet and open countryside, you can see the area is pretty green. Um, and the house condition survey, most of the literature always says that fuel poverty is linked to um, rural areas, and that's what we find in this, this case here. So in that case, we would give that a, a high weight of risk. Um, a good weight then is 74% of homes in that area were built after the year 2000. Built recently, so there are probably better windows, better regulations in place, um, so that's a lower score. 65% um, of homes are detached. Again, if a house is separate from other homes, it's more cold than houses that would be beside each other. Um, and then you've got an average SAP score. This is something that um, DFC were able to get for us recently. But as an energy performance certificate, so when somebody comes into a home, we were able to get a number of uh, households in that area, and then the average SAP score for those homes was um, a score of 60.5, which isn't great, but it's not bad either. So generally speaking, we gave a weight for, the, for that property as well. Um, higher than average oil price, and the big problem was that gas wasn't available in that area. So essentially, if you lived in that, that, that census area, you were stuck to oil. You were really at the mercy of, uh, of oil as the main heating source. Um, generally low poverty score for the area. When I say it's a higher temperature area, obviously for Northern Ireland, that's not really a, a big issue, unless it's today. Um, but that's, it was a slightly higher temperature, so it was given a slightly lower score. And then the, the other thing that we had here was 20% um, of the area was less than 16-year-old year inhabitants, and 20% of people were over 65. So those vulnerability scores were also added into that, that measure. So we were able to take all that data together and essentially give that, that census output area a score. And we said this is eligible for a winter fuel payment or uh, for energy intervention measures. Um, so that was very useful. To give you an indication that, again, the beauty of Google Street View, and again, sorry if, this, if you know any of these homes, these are two of the houses that were in that small area. So basically just use Street View to say this is a representative home from that location. And you can see the property on the left. It doesn't look particularly fuel poor. It's got a caravan. You can make a number of assumptions about the people that are in that home. That's all my personal opinion. Uh, it doesn't mean that the person's in fuel poverty or not. The house on the right, you can see probably older windows, multiple chimneys, so maybe a solid fuel, maybe away from gas, whatever, so you can make assumptions again. But basically, whenever we do this, some homes that we say have a score will not really be in fuel poverty. 
But whenever we, we look at this, we are getting a very high hit rate on, on the homes that are. And the beauty of what is currently done is that this work, the, the area-based target from here, then goes out to local councils. They go and knock the door on a set of addresses and say, they carry a, a doorstep survey to say, are you in fuel poverty? And they get intervention measures or referrals from there. Um, so the work of the council is critical, really, in taking this to people and trying to make uh, a real difference in that house. Um, that was one of the earliest maps that we did for fuel poverty uh, from 2012. But basically, it shows you how fuel poverty was in 2012 right across Northern Ireland. You'd had high areas uh, in the Sperrins. You'd high areas mainly in rural locations. Um, but it was a very useful way of actually looking at a small zone and saying, we think this is your risk level for fuel poverty and then it was useful to go on and actually help people by giving them new boilers or giving them referrals for window re replacements, um, etc. Uh, the application then, uh, just to finish off, funding was provided by OFM, DFM and Department for Social Development and we were given the opportunity to work with 19 councils who basically took census areas and they took addresses and went out to each address and they carried out a doorstep survey to see about insulation, income in the house, and they basically validated the model, uh, and that was carried out over 2,000 households uh, by council staff. And the area-based model was above 80% in accuracy, but it was still critical to send people out to the doors to actually say, are you um, suffering from fuel poverty or not? So it's a symbiosis between an area-based approach that takes people away from the approach, people that we know that wouldn't be at, at risk of, of poverty so much, but still refining and saying this is where we think um, most attention needs to go to. Um, and as I say, majority of households were fuel poor, poor with money and severe fuel poverty. Um, so just to finish off, one of the, the nice parts of working in the university is that you can talk to other people and, and try and build this further. Uh, and one of the nice parts of that is um, doing food poverty work. That's what we're currently trying to do as, as well as fuel. We're still very interested in fuel and food, but food's the, the new area that we're trying to, to develop. And from GIS, we can map every Tesco, every Asda, and we can look at how close people are to that, that store. We can work out roughly basket prices. We can work out the deprivation of the area. And again, it's this area-based targeting approach whereby we stack layers of risk, and we then come out with a score that basically says someone is at risk of food poverty in that location. Um, but GAS then enables so many different things to come into one place and allow us to integrate a map and then show where their greatest risk is at that point in time. Uh, I'm not linked to Cambridge Analytica or Facebook or anybody else, but this whole move with GDPR and everything, it could be a, it could be a bad thing, it could be a good thing, but generally speaking, 15 years ago, trying to get data was very, very difficult and very expensive. Generally speaking now, with help of government departments, we can get really good data sets and good data allows us to do good models. So it's essentially trying to get better information and integrate that to, to try and address the agenda from now on. Okay, um, so just to acknowledge uh, Christine and Chris and Ryan and DFC and OFM, DFM and the councils as well. Um, thank you very much indeed.